0: So today I want to give you a snapshot of the church on day one. Remember, Pentecost is the birthday of the church. Did you know that? So we're going to look at what the church looks like naturally, as a natural outflow of the life of the Spirit together. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Very helpful to follow along at this, and look at this snapshot together this morning. So we're in Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at three different things. One is uncontainable power, two is unquenchable thirst, and three is unusual ministry, the three U's, okay? Uncontainable power that came on that first day, which produced an unquenchable thirst for community and which led to unusual ministry in the Acts of the Apostles. So remember the context today. The Holy Spirit has already come, fallen on 120 people. Then Peter gets up to preach a sermon to a, a whole big old crowd of other people. And I would say his sermon is maybe a B+. Plus. You know, he did a good job. Probably could have used a joke or two, maybe some good illustrations. He did okay. It was just a basic dry gospel, but that's all it took. He walked them through the Old Testament sections of the prophecies where every page was pointing to Jesus. He walked them through his death as he paid for the atonement of our sins. He walked them through resurrection, glory, he just gave them the gospel. And guess what? Peter was asked this question. It says in verse 37, look at this. Now when they heard this gospel, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers. What should we do? I mean, we got this new information about Jesus being our long-awaited Messiah. What do we do with it? How do we respond to it? And Peter gives his best Billy Graham rendition. He gives an altar call. Come and, and hear the invitation. Look at verse 38. He says, here's what you do. You repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. So turn your life around. That's what repentance means. Turn away from anything ungodly or unholy in your life. Turn your face to God. Repent and be baptized. An outward, invisible sign of God's inward and spiritual grace, cleansing us through the blood of Jesus. Repent and be baptized. In the name of the Lord. There's only one name under heaven to be baptized into. And then finally he says in verse 38, and you will receive the Holy Spirit of God. Man, what a powerful thing. The gospel had cut their heart open. It was like they were open to God's operating table. And God begins like a surgeon to pierce their hearts so that the Holy Spirit can come in with power, piercing through the gospel, power through the Spirit, and then their lives were changed. New life came to the church on day one. So that, my friends, was a game changer. People cut to the heart by the gospel, people living in the Holy Spirit, and people now loving each other in that same spirit. You know, that caused extreme church growth. That day on Pentecost, you know, we had the 120 who received the Spirit. And then when Peter preached, we had 3,000 more. A little bit further in Pentecost, we get 2,000 more. The gospel grew because the flame of the Spirit was in the church. And soon it would sweep all over the Roman Empire like wildfire on dry prairie grass because their hearts were aflame with the love of Jesus and the uncontainable power of the Spirit. So they had an uncontainable power that came upon them, which brought to them an unquenchable thirst. They immediately began to gather together as the community, immediately. Now, they did more than just meet together. In verse 47, Luke will say they met together. But back up to verse 44, that's more important. It says, all who believed were together. That's a deeper sense of community, of sharing in the Spirit. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, they were together as a community. That's extraordinary. They were as diverse as any people you might find, but because of the Spirit in the church, they were together. Now, somebody said the other day that America is, is more divided than it's ever been in the life of our nation. I'm not sure that's true, but I can guarantee you, compared to the divisions of culture and linguistics and everything else on the day of Pentecost, our divisions are not nearly as severe as theirs were. In chapter 2, verse 9, Luke tells us who was gathered at that Feast of Pentecost. He said there there were Parthians, there were Medes, there were Eliamites, there were people from Pamphylia and Egypt and Mesopotamia, there were Cretans and Arabs, there were proselytes and there were Jews. Now that's Luke's way of saying there were people from all over the known world, all cultures and various backgrounds, and yet they were together. They were together in belief and faith through one common spirit. They were baptized into Christ, the one Lord Jesus. Before that day, they had nothing in common. Now they were together. Today, we might describe that common life like this. There were that day on Pentecost, goths and geeks. There were that day, jocks and skateboarders. There was a valedictorian and somebody who barely passed high school that day. There were army privates and five-star generals. And on that day of Pentecost, even the Gamecocks and Tigers got along well. (laughs) They came together under the Spirit. Citadel grads and VMI grads were hearing God's Word together for the first time. You know what we should hear in this story? Is that Pentecost is undoing the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 11. Remember, as sin increased in the world, these arrogant people decided they would make a tower up to God. So that they could see God face to face. The scriptures say they wanted to make a name for themselves. God hates pride. He hates arrogance. And of course, God condemned them and judged them for that. And what was the judgment? He divided their language. He divided their nations. He divided their cultures so that they never could be arrogant in that way again. Pentecost is the bringing back together of divided languages and nations at Pentecost, Babel is repealed and replaced, to use a political term, okay? You see what I'm doing here, okay? All right, but not repealed by a senator or the House. It was repealed and replaced by the Holy Spirit of God. The divisions were over. New life of community swept through the church. It produced an insatiable desire for those early Christians to want to be together. Look at verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. How often were they meeting? Day by day. You see what's happening? These are like newlyweds, these new Christians. They were so exhilarated with one another, so attracted to one another. They held so much in common through the power of the Spirit, they couldn't get enough of one another. They wanted to meet daily with each other. They were like that. Reminds me of a big old 1960s love fest with hippies having the communes and everything without the psychedelic drugs and the, the horrible bell-bottom pants. You know, <laughs> Other than that, they had received what Huey Lewis once sung about, I want a new drug that won't make me sick. They received that drug through the intoxicating power of the Holy Spirit of God, God's Spirit dwelling in them that brought them together in new life. Where did they meet? Look at verse 46. They met together in the temples and in their homes. See, see, they were coming together in the large group assembly like we are this morning. In the temple for worship of God. And then they couldn't get enough of each other, so they met in life groups during the week like we do. They found Bible studies in men's groups and women's groups because they couldn't get enough of one another. They had an insatiable appetite for hanging out together. And that's what Christians do. This new life emerged that brought them together. Look at verse 42. Three things emerged in their common life. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. The apostles' teaching, that's scripture study. They're studying the Bible together on Sunday mornings through the liturgy of the word, and then in informal ways during the week in their life groups. Basically what we do. For the fellowship, they devoted themselves to what in Greek is koinonia. And that is a deep, rich, spiritual sharing on such a deep level that it surpasses divisions of race and color and sex and money and background. They were all together in fellowship. And finally, for the breaking of bread and for the prayers. Now, a lot of scholars will say that first breaking of bread is the, for, the early stages of communion. So they gathered in the large temple for communion and for prayers like we say today. But on Wednesday night, our life group will meet and share pork roast and potato salad. But we still break bread. We still break open God's Word. But informally during the week and formally on Sunday. I love that we follow that same pattern in the church today. They had an uncommon, insatiable appetite to hang out together in community. Now here's the deal. It was a natural appetite for community. As a young priest, I used to get up on a pulpit like this, look out over my large crowds on Christmas and Easter, and I would give them a guilt trip. I'd say, you know the church is open next Sunday as well, right? (laughs) I'd say to those C&E Christians, you know we got small groups that meet every week. You should be in a Bible study. You know, you really should be serving the Lord. He is His kingdom. You, you should do that. You really ought to be generous with your money. Give a full tithe, 10%. But you know what? That never worked. I never got one person to come the first Sunday after Easter and say, Father, I am glad you laid the guilt wood to me last week. I'm, I have changed. I've turned over a new leaf. I joined a life group. I'm studying the scriptures. I'm giving 10%. I'm a new person. No. You can't lead somebody through guilt. In fact, every sermon you see in the Acts of the Apostles is simply a presentation of the gospel. And the gospel cuts people's hearts open and allows the Holy Spirit to come in and take residence and to change their hearts so that they want to thirst to be together in community. It's all God's work. Look at verse 47. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's not our work. God must do the work. The Spirit must do the work. The gospel of Christ must cut the heart open for God to do the the spiritual surgery on your heart. But all that leads to unusual and wonderful ministry when it happens through the gospel. Now the benefits of life lived in the Spirit and in community is that your joys will be multiplied and your sorrows will be diminished or mitigated. Increase joys, decrease sorrows. C.S. Lewis once said this about the joys in his reflection on the Psalms. He said, it is frustrating to, say, find a new author that you really like or listen to a new piece of music that you really enjoy or have a joke or maybe see a mountain vista and have no one to share it with. He says, especially those things that are praiseworthy in life, when you share it with somebody else, your joy is increased and it's made complete. Have you ever said, come on over here to my house. Let me show you what I'm working on. Why do you do that? Because in sharing it with somebody, your joys are complete. Or let me have a cup of coffee with you. Tell, let me tell you how the Lord's working in my life. Why? Because when I share the Lord with you, our joys are complete together. I remember a young newlywed couple invited me over. their house at St. Helena's and as soon as I got through the door and had a cup of coffee in my hand they said let me show you something they popped in a DVD I guess it was not a DVD it was a VHS at the time (laughs) but it was their wedding video from out in California a bunch of people I didn't even know and I'm thinking oh no 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 I don't want to watch a (laughs) wedding video so boring but of course I let them do it right because I knew that they wanted to share it with me in community I know that when they shared it, their joy would be increased and it would be complete. Likewise, in community, we share our sorrows so that the sorrows may be mitigated. Galatians 6, 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, when you're in a life group and you share your burdens with somebody else, you've halved your sorrows. When you share it with a third person in a small group, you got one-third the sorrows you had before. The closer-knit community you are, the more your sorrows are shared, shared across the board and the more weight you can manage to bear in your life. Community in the Spirit, bearing one another's burdens. See, here's the benefit. Look at verse 43. And when they were in together, and all came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. Uh, friends, personally in my life group, I cannot tell you uh, how important it's been to get together and how we've, we've prayed for amazing things to happen and we've seen God answer those prayers and we've responded with awe and wonder at God's great power, amazement at our great God. We've prayed somebody through a, a critical illness. We've prayed other three people through chronic illnesses which continue to come, but Through the grace of God and the power of community, they've been able to go through those seasons together as we bear burdens with one another. We've been able to pray through job transitions that were incredibly stressful, and we've rejoiced over the accomplishments of our children and the promise of the birth of new children within our group. Doing life together, the joys and the sorrows. You need to find a small group. It's a powerful thing. For the past year and a half, the Jeffords have fretted and worried over selling our house. And last week, we got a contract on the house, finally, by God's grace. So, thank you. And it's been the prayers of the community and the prayers of our life group. And when I announced it on Wednesday at our life group, they, like you, clapped and we high-fived. And there was so much joy. And our joy was made complete in community, right? In community. And two people added They said, I feel like a burden's been lifted off of my soul as well. Why? They didn't sell their home. We did. But you know what they were doing the whole time? They were bearing the burden with us and so fulfilling the law of Christ. They were worried as we were. And they shared the burden with us. And lastly, the the larger temple community of St. Paul's, the greater gathering, y'all have been praying us up as well. And at every point where financially it didn't look like the Jeffords were going to make it, y'all made a way where there seemed to be no way. And we couldn't be more appreciative of our church family. So if you don't have a connection with a a temple, a larger assembly, or with a smaller group on a day-to-day basis, find those places and seek them out. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is generosity. Look at verse 44. And all who believe together... Held all things in common, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds as any had need. The Spirit brought an extreme sense of generosity so that now these people from all across the world who just a few days ago didn't even know each other and share the Spirit, they were throwing in their pockets and their wallets and their checkbooks and everything else and they were caring for each other and loving each other in the power of the Spirit. Tribes and cultures and sexes and backgrounds did not mean anything any longer. They were together in God's Spirit. So find a large assembly. If you hadn't settled your roots into a a large assembly, a church somewhere, I commend you to do that. Find a large, a smaller group, a a group through which you can pray for God's blessings in good times and pray through uh, the troubled times as well, so that you too might see signs and wonders, and that you might be in awe at all that God can do in your life. But one thing you know, that throughout the Acts of the Apostles, there is no such thing as private religion. There's no concept of doing it just me and God. It doesn't work that way. So devote yourself to the Apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. But your first and greatest pursuit ought to be that the gospel would cut your heart open So that God can insert the power of his spirit. And that this community life that I'm talking about shouldn't be something you have to really work hard at. Coming to church and being a part of a life group. But that you naturally will have an unquenchable thirst for community. That is yours by a gift in faith alone. Amen.